Hi there, welcome to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. To learn more about us, you can check out our website at southsidesbc.org or you can go to our Facebook page. If you'd like to connect with us, you can send us an email at info at southsidesbc.org. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please go on to your podcast platform and leave us a positive review to help others find our content more easily. Thanks for listening and have a great week. So this morning, we are beginning a new series, and it's, um, it's kind of going to be one of those intense series, okay, um, titled Sexuality, God's Blueprint for Human Flourishing. We, how does God, what is God, and today specifically we're going to talk about God's design, um, but this is going to be a series in which we talk about some sensitive topics. Uh, it's going to be at least my plan right now is a three-part series. Now, that's not all three in a row, okay? Next week, we have a great opportunity. Um, some of our uh, missionaries to Southeast Asia are going to be here, and uh, they're going to be sharing. And so we're going to take a pause from this series next week. We'll pick it back up in two weeks. So um, I really want to encourage you to be back next week. I know there's uh, sicknesses going around right now and so forth. And so uh, if you're joining us online and you're sick this week, please, please, please be here next week. Uh, we are going to um, have a, uh, the missionaries here. Now, because of that, because of that, at least the plan is right now is we will, especially if you're joining us online, we're glad you've joined us, especially if, if you're sick at home, uh, we're glad that uh, you're able to tune in. Next week, that will not be the case um, because of where our missionaries serve, and we want to give them the freedom to speak freely. Um, we are not going to be live streaming next week. Uh, in fact, I don't believe it will be even available afterwards. So if you're joining us online, this is a great opportunity to join us in person. So I invite you to come next week here in person. Uh, we've got a spot for you, and we'd love to have you right here at Southside. Good enough? All right, we'll talk a little more about that later because we are having a dinner afterwards. And listen, Baptists love food, amen? Yes, I know, there's a lot of us that love food. So this morning, as we begin this series, um, we're, I, um, honestly, I didn't know how exactly I was going to attack this subject when, um, as I thought about and God laid on my heart to do it. But um, hopefully uh, this morning will help lay a groundwork for some of the things we're going to talk about. Because we're going to talk about God's design. God's de- design for sexuality. Um, I-, I want you to think about something for just a moment. When you think about our solar system, there are a lot of different parts to our solar system, right? A lot of different elements, if you will. Um, There's Earth, there's the sun, there's other stars, there's the moon, um, there's the atmosphere, there's other planets, right? Um, We have uh, Mars and Venus and, and Pluto. And is Pluto a planet, not a planet? I don't know. What's the latest... Not officially a planet. I think Pluto should be a planet. All in favor say aye. Aye. There we have it. Pluto's a planet. Good job. Okay. But there's a lot of elements and and pieces and parts to our solar system. And here's the thing. Sometimes we can think about those as separate entities because in some ways they are, right? You've got earth, it's just earth, and then you have the different planets, and then you have the sun, and you have the moon, and sometimes we think about and talk about those in separate elements. But I want you to think about this for just a minute. In reality, they're all interrelated and interconnected in our solar system, right? Okay, it's been a while since I've studied science, but at least from my memory, you know, it's, there's gravitational pulls within all of our planets and things that keep them in orbit where they are. And so um, all those gravitational pulls and the sun being, you know, I, I still, you know, the sun, if it's a little closer, we'd burn up, a little farther, we'd freeze, right? And so um, all of these things work together and they are interrelated. Now you say, why, don't you, why, are you, why do you say that, Pastor? I say it because of this. Today and over the next couple of sermons that we're going to talk about related to this, there's a lot of different topics that we're going to talk about. 
a lot of different topics that at times may seem, individually may seem unrelated. Um, we're going to talk about sexuality. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about um, God. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about, um, uh, we're going to talk about um, how, how you view uh, your identity. Okay. We're going to talk about homosexuality. We're going to talk about sexual orientation. And so there is an aspect to which we think of these. And sometimes we get so confused. We say, man, there's just so many topics and so many things out there. And I just don't know if I can understand it all. Let me help you for this. Okay. I, my hope is, and as I prepared the message for today, um, I started in a place where I just, and, and God just, I believe, just showed me, here's what I want you to tell them. And it is just, the deal is there's so many different topics, friends, but they're really all interconnected and tied together. And so I want you to see that today, and I hope that you can see how all of these are interrelated and interconnected and how we can address them all in, in our understanding. So... Um, one of the, what, what I really think will help us as we do this, as we think about all these things, is to first understand God's design for us, mankind. Amen? Um, in this area of sexuality. And so I want to start this morning with some fundamental principles. What is God's design? Uh, you probably could maybe add some things to this. I'm trying to be as comprehensive as I can, but um, uh, we're going to talk about some things today, and then we're going to talk about some things that are not his design next time. So number one, look at your outline, if you will. I want to invite you to fill this in. Let's get started. What are some fundamental elements, funda foundational principles of God's design for sexuality? Number one, men and women. We learned this way back in Genesis chapter one, by the way. So I want you to turn there. If I didn't already say that, turn to Genesis chapter one. Um, men and women were created by God distinctively as male and female. Men and women were created by God distinctly as male and female. Now, <clears throat> if I would have made that statement 20 years ago, most of you would have pro probably thought, Pastor, that's a dumb statement. That's an that's a unnecessary statement. Well, duh, Pastor. I think everybody today understands why this statement needs to be made. Um, there's a movement in our world today to remove the distinctions between men and women and to claim that there is no difference between the two and that we can choose which one we want to be. Even, or maybe even say something, you've heard somebody say something like this, I feel like I'm a, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. Friends, what we see in scripture and I believe what we see biologically um, is that God designed and made us in a particular way. Let's look at Genesis chapter one together. And we're gonna be looking at this morning, a lot of different scripture, okay? It's all gonna be on the screen. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to turn there. Main two passages are gonna be in Genesis and Matthew, and then we'll look at a couple of others. Um, we're gonna look at these passages this morning. We're probably gonna look at some of these again, okay, throughout. But we're gonna begin Genesis chapter one, verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are creating and here creates mankind. In our image, he says, according to our likeness. Let's pause there for just a minute. Friends, we are made in God's image. Amen. We are like God. We're not God and we can't be God. We can't be, we are not divine. That's not what he's talking about. Okay. But we are made in his image. We are like God in many ways. We are, uh, we are like God. I believe probably at the foundational level in that we have a soul that's going to live on forever in eternity. Now we have a beginning. God didn't, right? God's always existed in the past, present, future. God just is. Okay. God is, but we are going, our soul is going to live on forever somewhere. We have a soul that's going to live on either in heaven or hell forever somewhere. And so we are like God like that. Also, uh, I believe there are many other ways we are, we are like God. We're able to think, we're able to process, we're able to have emotions, we're able to have feelings. These are just some of the ways I believe that God created us in his image and we are like him. And let me point out that we are unlike any other created thing or creature. We are unique. Let's continue. 
Let's make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And all the hunters said, amen. There you go. Um, We, mankind, are the crown jewel of God's creation. We are made in his image and in his likeness, and we are meant to have a relationship with him. Okay, we see elsewhere here that Adam and Eve walked with God, and God walked with them in the the Garden of Eden. Um, But we, we are made to have a relationship with him and to rule and to reign over his, the rest of his creation. Amen? Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Again, um, God is very specific here. Um, Male and female, he created them. Uh, There would have been, uh, can I just tell you, growing up, I kind of thought that was always weird. Just kind of the way the the Genesis says that. He created him, then male and female, he created them. Um, I think in our world today, um, God said that for a reason. Amen. He said it for a reason. I want you to turn over. Here's what I want you to do. And so I'm going to encourage you to take some little paper item that you have and stick that in Genesis. Cause we're going to be back there. Okay. And I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, or no shame. And just checking it out on the screen, the screen behind me. So why don't we do that? Matthew chapter 19, um, the Pharisees, we're always trying to catch Jesus in something, right? They're always trying to catch him and saying something that they could, you know, twist and this, that, and the other. And here they are. Um, they came to him in verse three. It's not on your screen. Um, says to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? The Pharisees uh, even fought among themselves. The, um, some of them uh, thought there's a school that said, no, you can only divorce for sexual morality. There was others that said, hey, just divorce for any reason. And that kind of become popular, you know, just as today, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, you can do that. And so um, what was happening was, especially in that day, um, the women were being put in a position where they were just kind of left hung out to dry. And so um, Jesus here answers their uh, question and he gives us some great stuff about marriage here. Okay. But verse four, look at what he says. Jesus answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Friends, um, Jesus reiterates here in Matthew chapter 19, what what, what really Adam probably, Moses, we know, wrote down in Genesis chapter two, that God made them. He who made them, made them male and female. Now, there's a couple things I want, us to, want you to notice here. Number one, Jesus says he, made, he who made them when? When, when does it say? At the beginning. At the beginning. God made us this way, not somewhere down the line, Okay? He didn't make us and then later decide, oh, well, you know what? They need, I need to do this. No, from the beginning, the design was he made us male and female from the beginning. He didn't decide this at a later date. He didn't make us and give us the option to choose which one we wanted to be. God made us from the beginning male and female, right? And that's the second thing I want you to notice here. He, Jesus says, he, made, he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. Friends, God created us, mankind, humankind, as two distinct genders who are the same kind. We are, we are, we are all humankind, right? We are all mankind. That's important for us to understand, right? We are alike in a lot of different ways, but guess what? Ladies, men, we are distinct in a lot of ways, amen? We are different. We are similar but different. We are the same kind, uh, but different, but complementary and meant to go together. Um, physically, right? We're, some ways we're similar, and some ways we are different. And uh, we are distinct. Physically, biologically, that is true. Um, even emotionally and, and relationally, that is true. We're similar, but Man, we're, we're, we're in, in general, we're different. And, and, and particularly in the roles that God has given us to fulfill, um, those are distinct. And here's what's important to us about that. When we talk about the God made us male and female, 
Friends, um, God, in that, in making us like that, God reveals something to us about who he wants us to be through the body that he's given us, right? Whether he's made you male or female, God reveals something to you in that about who he wants you to be. I want you to think about something for just a minute. Uh, I, I started to bring one and then I, I, I just didn't. I figured, you, everybody knows what a hammer looks like, right? <laughs> okay. Um, a hammer is designed to do what? Drive nails, right? Of some sort. Hammer is designed to drive nails and the, the back part, even you know, there are a lot of different kinds of hammers and some hammers don't have it, but the back part, if it has one, is designed as a claw, right? It's designed to remove nails. And so a hammer's purpose is to drive nails and to remove nails. A hammer's purpose is not to remove screws. If, if I went over here and I said, there's a switch plate right over here and I need to take these screws out. If I had a bunch of tools there, I wouldn't grab the hammer, right? I'd grab, grab a flathead screwdriver. Um, now, I imagine if that's all you had, you could take that hammer and that back of that and you might could stick it in the little slot there and you might could twist it around and you might be able to reduce to remove those screws, but the hammer's not designed to do that, right? The hammer's not made for that. Its purpose is to drive nails and remove nails. Friends, the same is true for us. God's design for us as male and female is intentional. God is telling you something about yourself in the way he created you with the specific sex and gender that he gave you, about who he wants you to be, about how he wants you to live, friends, and how he wants you to fit into his plan. And let me just say that it's not an accident. It's not an accident. How God made you is not an accident. Um, you're not, you know, God didn't make you as a man in a woman's body. If God designed you and gave you the chromosomes and everything and, and the, the physical nature of a woman, you are a woman. And the same thing for a man. God, uh, it's not, you're not an accident. You cannot, also, you cannot separate how you feel from who you are and how God has made you physically. Okay? Well, I don't feel like a man or I don't feel like a woman. Um, sometimes I don't feel like a pastor. <laughs> Um, but I, but I find myself in this position and I am right. Um, and so there are a lot of things sometimes we don't feel like, but that are still true. Doesn't make it not true just because we don't feel like it. Um, now let me just say that, say this, um, that doesn't mean that you, as, as a man or a woman, you have to fit into all the stereotypes that come along with that. Okay. Um, all men don't have to love sports. Amen, Brandon? <laughs> and um, I, I, I hope you'll take this in the best way possible. I, I, um, even not loving sports, Brandon is a man's man, right? And um, in, in every way. But he doesn't love sports. It's okay. Listen, all ladies don't love pink. Right, honey? Okay. Some of you do. That's great. That's fine. That's wonderful. But all you don't have to love pink. There are stereotypes that don't have to be like that. And I think sometimes because of the stereotypes of the world, um, when maybe we don't fit all that stereotype, we think, well, then I must be this and not this. No, that's not. God just maybe made you unique and different than somebody else. I'm glad God made Pastor Brandon to love music and gave him the voice that he gave him. Because, listen, he's been able to use that for God's glory, amen? And so um, God made you who you are on purpose, male or female, friends. And in that, I believe we are to seek out how to live out who we are within those boundaries, male or female. In fact, otherwise, otherwise, we end up denying the very God who created us and in a very real way, I believe, spitting in his face. Just think about this for just a minute, okay? Let's imagine for a moment you could create something that could then come alive, okay? Um, you're Geppetto, right? I don't know. 
Um, but you create something and you create it in a particular way because that's the way you want it. And then it becomes alive. And then it says, Hey, I don't like how you created me. So I want to be something else. I want to be this, or I want to be that, or I want to do this or do that. Now, some of you are thinking, well, it could be whatever he wants to do. It can, but in doing that, is it not just spitting in your face in essence? I believe that's exactly what we're doing. If we try to go down a different road other than how God made us. He made us the way he made us for a reason. We were created by him distinctly as male and female. Leads us to number two. Number two. The second element of God's design that I want to talk about today is this, friends. And that is this, that men and women, we just talked about this, are distinct sexes, right? Created in the image of God, right? Yes. To complement each other in his design to complement each other in his design and make sure you spell it right because I'm not talking about you need to tell your wife how good she looks or wives how you tell, tell your husband how handsome he is okay not that kind of compliment that, that's a compliment with an I in there okay but this is compliment as in complementary um, fitting together Making the, the word actually means to make complete or to make whole. Look at look back and so now we're back in Genesis. Take your piece of paper, stick it in Matthew for a minute, and turn back to Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, verse eighteen says this. And the Lord God said, "It is not good that man should be alone." And all the men said, "Amen." I will make a helper comparable to him, okay? Comparable to him, like him, right? But a helper. Now, verse 19, we go for a search, right? Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, all to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him, right? None of the Adams, uh, Adams, none of the animals were, were found comparable to him, were found, uh, were not a helper to him. The word helper here is the Greek, the Hebrew word, excuse me, azer. It means one who aids or one who helps simply, um, implies that help is needed. Amen. Ladies. Yes. (laughs) We men need help guys. Amen. All right. Um, I, listen, I would not be able to do anything of what I do. Our home would not be what it is. Our children would not be who they are without my wife. And so, um, guys, we need help, not a servant. He didn't say he's going to make a servant. Doesn't say he's going to make a slave, but a what helper, a helper, a helper. So look at verse 21 it says, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. Um, I couldn't help but to read that and think, that's probably not very hard. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and you know, this was, what was this? Yeah. yeah. No, it was not, it was not on Sunday, but um, it was, he still, you know, just got through watching the deer play football and, um, and he was tired. <laughs> so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Friends, the first surgery. Amen. Then the rib which the Lord took, had, God had taken from man. Notice, I think, it's, I think it's, 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 it's not a coincidence here that God took a rib from his side, right? To make the woman, the one who was to be along his side as his helper, um, like him, equal to him in essence and who she is, but different and distinct in many ways. So God took the rib, which he'd taken from the man, made her, made in, he made into a woman, okay? He built a woman right there, okay? He took, just as Adam, out of the dust of the ground, I believe he probably took dust to the ground again and just formed it into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Verse 23, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So Adam recognized the similarity, right? She's one of my kind. She is like me in many ways. However, she's also different. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
The English here actually does a good job of giving us a sense of the original Hebrew. The word man in the original Hebrew is the word ish. The word woman in uh, the original Hebrew is isha. Okay, so the similarity, but difference. They, same, same word, man, woman, right? Similarity, but different. Uh, we are of the same kind, but we are different, amen? We complement each other. Look at verse 24, this is the one you know. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined, cleave to um, I'll come back to that in just a second. His wife and they shall become one flesh. So the two, the woman that he made, shall they shall come together and they be joined together. Okay, glued together is what the word literally means. Literally means be glued together and the two shall become one flesh. Okay, they complement each other and they fit together. If you can think here, think about this like a tongue and groove joint. Okay, those of you who are carpentry uh, or um, anybody la- put down some laminate flooring or vinyl flooring, okay? You put down that flooring, you know, you've seen it in the store. One, one side has to go in and there's a little lip there and the little lip has to slide in and it snaps down and they go together, right? Um, separately, uh, in fact, they're more together than they are apart, Amen. That's a, that's a good analogy for us. And so they fit together and they complement one another and it just, it, it just goes together. And, and equal in essence, and we talk about uh, equal in essence, equal in, in personhood and value before God, but distinct in how God has made us. But we like that, the flooring, men and women just, just fit together. Intended and designed by God to complement and to complete each other. Leads us perfectly right into the next, uh, uh, the next fundamental element about God's design. I want to talk to you about number three. Number three, marriage. You didn't need me to tell you that blank, did you? Marriage is the institution created and established by God that unites a man and a woman. We'll come back to that for life in a single exclusive permanent union. Marriage is that institution. Amen. Now you notice there, I put a man from birth and a woman from birth. You probably understand. Maybe you've never heard it said like that. Um, I put it that way simply because in our culture today, there are those who would want to change their sex and then uh, uh, a woman who wants to change her sex to a man and then get married to a woman. Okay. That's not biblical marriage. Okay, it is someone who is born a man, someone who is born a woman, one man, one woman for life in a single exclusive permanent union. I don't know if, I don't know how I can say it any clearer than that. Now, we looked at this passage a minute ago, but let's look at it again. Look at verse 18. We're going to go kind of quickly this time. Verse 18 of Genesis 2 says, and the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. So Uh, Verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which he'd Lord taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Adam said, this is not bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, way to keep up up there. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Amen? One flesh flesh. So here, we'll come back to that verse in just a minute. And here, um, so here at creation, in Genesis, at the beginning, right? God establishes the institution of marriage as the uniting, the bringing together, the joining of one man and one woman for what? Life, for life. Friends, that's what marriage is. God made it, God designed it, God defines it. And that's what it is. Um, Turn over to Matthew chapter 19. Because Jesus reiterates what, he goes on to emphasize, he reiterates what is said in Genesis, but he emphasizes two things, the seriousness and the permanency of this union called marriage when he answers the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 19. 
We looked at verse four a minute ago, but he says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become what? One flesh. We just read that where he quotes from Genesis chapter two. Jesus is pointing back to the beginning. But look at what he says. He adds this in verse six. He says, so then they are no longer two, but what? One flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has, literally the word here means glued together, let not man separate. Friends, so we see here, Jesus is emphasizing when he's questioned about divorce and can you divorce for any reason whatsoever, Jesus says that marriage was made between one man and one woman for life. And he says it so much that once they are glued together, let nobody separate them. I don't know if you've seen the illustration before. I've done it before here when we were talking specifically about marriage where you take two sheets of paper and you glue them together and then you hand it to somebody and you say, would you separate these pieces of paper for me? You can't, right? Two pieces of paper that are glued together when you try to pull them apart, what's gonna happen? It's gonna rip, it's gonna tear, it's gonna, you're gonna, it's, and it's gonna tear both of them. Listen, I know there are people here, there are people watching online. Many, many of you have been through this awful thing called divorce. Okay, I am sorry for that. Here's what, and and my guess is that none of you intended it to be that way. There's lots of pain involved with divorce. And when God joins together and man separates, there is pain. And I would guess that every single one of you that's been through that could reiterate that and say, yes, pastor, there is lots of pain to that. Irreparable damage occurs. So Jesus here emphasizes the, from the beginning, right? Well, let me get ahead of myself, okay? Look at verse seven. So they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Um, Again, I believe Moses was protecting women, okay, in that and so forth. but, But Jesus answers here. He says to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, can we just say sin, Amen. Because of sin, because of your sin and the sin in your heart permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. That was not God's original design. Divorce was never part of the original design. It was a concession by Moses. Look at what Jesus says here. Jesus gives only one exception that uh, that allows divorce. He says, and I say, and even that is sin, caused by sin. He says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Friends, uh, what we see here in Jesus' words is the seriousness and the permanency of the marriage covenant in God's eyes. Amen? We need to understand that. Now, there's a couple of things. Um, we could say many things about marriage, right? In fact, we could do a whole sermon and series just on marriage. That's not the point, even though marriage is kind of an important part of this message. Um, but there's a couple of things I want to say here. The biggest and uh, about marriage, the biggest and most appropriate or apropos is that marriage is established by God. Amen? It is established by God and is the foundation of society. Marriage is, listen, there was nothing before marriage other than the man and the woman, right? And here's the important thing. Marriage is the first institution of society. That first institution is not government. It's not some business. It's not some organization. Listen, friends, it's not even the church. The first institution that God established is marriage as the foundation of all of society. So therefore, friends, it is established by God. It is defined by God. So only God can define it. Amen? It's made by him. He's the one who defined it. Second thing I want to share with you, um, just we can talk about about marriage today, is that marriage, as God designed it, is between a man and a woman. We've seen that thoroughly this morning, right? Not a man and a man, Not a woman and a woman. In fact, we'll talk more about this next week, but that is not marriage at all. 
It's not marriage. Now, God created things the way he did for a reason, right? Um, to some of us, we say, how can you not see that? Now, this is a sub-point under number three, but next on your outline is this. Friends, God created mankind, male and female, so that there could be a one-flesh one flesh sexual union, okay? I don't think I need to draw that out for you guys. You're smart enough to figure that out, right? That, that, that is, so there can be a one flesh, God, it's the way God designed us, is to be able to have a one flesh sexual union within the bounds of marriage in order to procreate and multiply the human race. That's one of the reasons in which God designed marriage. Marriage, even though there is enjoyment in marriage, amen? Come on now. Even though there is enjoyment in marriage, amen? Okay. Maybe you want me to, okay, y'all asked for it. Even though there is enjoyment in sex in marriage, amen? Okay. Um, marriage is not just some idea God came up with for our pleasure or our enjoyment. There is enjoyment and there is pleasure in it, okay? But there are some greater purposes involved. And one of those greater purposes is procreation. Genesis chapter one, we're there, right? Genesis chapter one, verse 28 says this, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, be fruitful. He wasn't talking about to go pick some fruit, right? Be fruitful and multiply in case they didn't get it. Fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, so God here says that one of the purposes of marriage and, and sex is to procreate within the bounds of marriage, okay? Not without out the bounds of marriage. Some people procreate in that way. That's ungodly, and we'll talk about that next week, okay? But one of the purposes of marriage is to procreate and to multiply the human race. And that can only be done between a man and a woman. It can't be done between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. I'm going to be as politically correct as I can or maybe just blunt as I can without being too blunt. You need an egg and a seed. Amen? You need both. That only happens with a man and a woman. Now, as we think about marriage and we think about what it is and, and how God designed it, um, marriage is a thing, right? Marriage is a thing. Marriage, marriage, we've talked about what marriage is. We've defined marriage. Marriage is a thing, and, and it must be defined as that thing, or what you are describing is not marriage. Let me, should I say that again? Marriage is a thing, and marriage must be defined as that thing, just like anything else, or it's not marriage, it's something else. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about here. Um, author Andrew Walker illustrates it wonderfully, and he explains it like this. He uses the illustration of water. Uh, I want you to think, he says, of the anatomical structure of water. Chemically, what is water? It is H2O, right? Two, two hydrogen molecules, one oxygen molecule. And so that's what water is. Water is two hydrogen, one oxygen. Now, if you take away either a hydrogen molecule or an oxygen molecule, do you have water? You don't have water anymore, right? It ceases to be water. It's not water. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it's not water, okay? Um, even if you were to add an additional oxygen or add a, an additional hydrogen molecule um, and try to call it water, guess what? It's not. It's not going to be water uh, because when you change what it's made of, it ceases to be the thing that it originally was. Friends, the same is true for marriage, Marriage is something. God has defined it. And if you change the components, whether that's the constituents of marriage, even whether it's, if it's the permanence of marriage or it's how men and women relate to each other in marriage or really any other components, it's, it's not marriage. It's something else. Amen? Marriage. We'll come back and talk about that more next week. But marriage is, or two weeks, is the institution that was created and established by God that unites a man and a woman 
for life. Number four. Number four, and, and this is what some of you have been waiting on. Okay, here we go. Sexual intimacy is an expression of the marriage unity and intended by God to be enjoyed solely within the bounds of marriage. Now, there's a couple of things I've stated there in a particular way. I didn't just say sex because some people want to engage in sexual intimacy and they say, well, I'm not having sex. Any sexual intimacy is reserved by God for the marriage bed. Now, there's three parts to this sentence that I want to talk about, okay? The first part is this, friends. That is that sexual intimacy is an expression of the marriage unity. Um, there, what is sex and why is there sex? Um, well, we talked about one reason, right? For procreation. Sex is for procreation. But second, just look at sexual intimacy is an expression of the marriage unity, Okay, God put multiple purpose into this, but one of the reasons is sexual intimacy is an expression of the marriage unity. Author Rebecca McLaughlin writes this. She says, sex is not just a pleasurable act. It isn't even just a means for having kids. It is an expression of a one flesh unity made by God, she says, to picture Jesus's love for us. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Okay, let's look at the second part. Sexual intimacy is an expression of the marriage unity and intended by God to be enjoyed. Um, yes, you heard it here, amen? God is not against sex. Christians are not against sex, amen? As long as it is within the bounds of what? Marriage, marriage. And here's the deal, God made marriage and God made sex within the bounds of marriage, to be enjoyed. Look at Genesis chapter 2 again, okay? We held off on the last verse of chapter 3, but let's look at verse 24 first of all. Verse 24 says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What's he talking about there? He's talking about marriage, right? We already talked about this. He's talking about marriage. Then look at verse 25. He says, and they were both naked, I'm sorry. I don't know any other way to say the word. All right. I'm not going to say naked or it's naked. Brandon, can I get a witness? It's naked, right? That's what we knew. All right. That's what and y'all say it with me. Naked. All right. If I've got to say it, y'all got to say it. Okay. Naked. Say it with me. All right. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, I don't know if you were like me, and Laura and I talked about this a little bit, um, always read this passage and read that verse and, and really read it in the context of the fact that they are ashamed after the fall and stuff and think about it. Well, there's just a statement saying that they didn't have any clothes and they weren't ashamed. Well, partially, that's part of it. Um, this is before sin, right? That's, that's important. It's before sin. But what verse does this come right after? Verse 24, right? which is the uniting of a man and a woman in marriage. Marriage, okay? And so I guess maybe I just need to spell this out for you. Most commentators believe that what, he's, what is being talked about here is the man and the woman um, enjoying what God has given them in the marriage covenant. Do I need to spell it out further? We good? Okay. We're good, all right? God made sex to be enjoyed. Okay, they were married and it's perfectly, not perfect, only perfectly fine. It's okay. It is encouraged by God within the bounds of marriage. Now, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to spare you um, this morning um, from going to Proverbs chapter 5 and talking about how you are to rejoice with the wife of your youth which talks about the, how um, sex is to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage, but encourage you to go there and study that passage. But as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Corinth was an immoral city, amen? If 
you've ever studied Corinth or you've heard me talk about Corinth before, it's an immoral city. Uh, lots of immorality, sexual immorality, uh, all sorts of immorality, um, debauchery, all that kind of stuff. And because the city was an immoral city, much of that immorality crept into the church, unfortunately. And Paul had to deal with that. And chapter five, a little bit, he talks about that and, and tells them, cut it out and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but also because of that, they had written to Paul and asked Paul some questions. And evidently one of the notions that some people had was that maybe we shouldn't be married. Maybe singleness is better and maybe we should be single and, and celibate. Or maybe we should just be single and not be married. Uh, now, while Paul did value singleness, we learn later in this chapter that Paul himself was single. I think it's interesting here in chapter seven that Paul in his answer to them speaks about the pleasures and the joy of marriage. And he talks about sex. Look at chapter seven, verse one. He writes to them, he says, now concerning the things of which you wrote me. Now we don't know exactly what they wrote to Paul, but he's answering them here. So we can kind of guess. He says, it is not good for a man. It is, excuse me. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, so I need a seat between everybody. Every man and woman need a seat. No, okay, that's not what we're talking. What's being talked about here is this. Um, what's said here is it is, um, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It's a Jew, Jewish euphemism for sex, okay? So evidently they asked him something about that. And he's saying, listen, a man outside of marriage should not have sex with a woman. Nevertheless, look at verse two. Because of sexual immorality, he knew the human nature, amen? So because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Friends, um, sexual relations are for marriage only, right? Come back to this in just a minute, but the last part of this point is solely within the bounds of marriage. It's between a man and a woman in the bonds of marriage. Look at verse three. He says, let the husband render to his wife the affection or the love due her and, the, and likewise also the wife to her husband. So not just talking about affection and love, but what's he talking? He's talking about sex. How do we know that? We just go on. Verse four, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Listen, that, that verse does not mean that there should not be consensuality within marriage even, okay? Because look at the next verse. Um, it talks about that whatever is done there, it needs to be consensual. But what he's saying is do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, okay? So you're married. That's one of the aspects of marriage. And so he's encouraging here and saying it's not only okay, but he's encouraging. Don't deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And then he says, come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So um, what Paul is saying here is he's giving them permission to have and enjoy sex. And he's extolling the, the virtues, if you will, of sex within marriage and encouraging them as married couples to enjoy the wonderful, beautiful gift that God has given them and to enjoy one another's affection. Amen? So sexual intimacy is an expression of the marriage unity and intended to, by God to be enjoyed. Now, can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. Here's the last part of that. Solely within the bounds of marriage. Look back at verse two of right, that chapter seven. What does it say? Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Okay? Exclusivity there is what he's talking about. Then look on the screen at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse four says this, says marriage is honorable among all. Many were wanting to say, no, stop getting married and whatever, need to be celibate and all this. But Paul says in Hebrews, marriage is honorable among all and the bed, what? Undefiled. And the bed undefiled. Some versions say, and the bed to be kept undefiled. Um, listen, I believe this is kind of speaking of two, two similar, very similar things. Number one, um, sex within marriage is not only okay, but it's good. 
It was designed by God and it was intended that way. And there's no, there should be no shame in that. Amen. It is a good gift from God to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage. Amen. But it's also saying that the bed should remain undefiled. In other words, don't let sexual immorality creep in because look at the last part of this verse. He says, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Sex is to be remain within the bounds of marriage, but not outside the bounds of marriage. And just to be specific here, he says, listen, sexual sinners of fornicators having sex outside of marriage or before marriage or adulterers, and all, God will judge. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But that brings us to number five. It brings us to the conclusion of what we're talking about this morning. God's design for sexuality. I know we've been talking about a lot of separate things, but we're going to kind of, man, we're going we're gonna to tie a nice bow on this and wrap it up. But this is why all of this is important, okay? Why is all the things we talked about, why is it important that God created us male and female? Why is it God important that God made us to complement each other? All of these things. Um, because look at this. The marriage relationship between a man and a woman is meant to portray the covenant relationship between Christ and his church, the marriage relationship, how a husband and a wife come together and form unity and, and then live together and relate to each other is intended to portray the relationship between Christ and his church. Listen, friends, why does it matter if we subscribe to the sex and the gender that God has, has given us? Why does it matter if we accept the complementary roles of the sex that God has given us within marriage? Why does it matter if we remain sexually pure? Friends, why does it matter if we do marriage God's way? Here's why, friends, because marriage is intended to be a picture of Jesus's own love for his bride, the church, amen? And the church's love for her Lord. Marriage is intended to mirror and portray and to foreshadow that, now, I want to show you this in just the, as we close in the last few minutes we got here this morning. First of all, author Rebecca McLaughlin, again, says something that I want to share with you. She wraps up the article that she wrote this way. She says this, whenever people ask me why Christians are so weird about sex, she says, I first point out that we're weirder than you think. <laughs> Amen. I can own that. She says, the fundamental reason why Christians believe that sex belongs only in the permanent bond of male-female marriage is because of the metaphor of Jesus's love for his church. Turn to Ephesians chapter five. I told you we got a lot of scripture this morning, but this is important stuff. Ephesians chapter five. It's a beautiful passage. It's a passage every couple before you get married not only ought to read, but ought to study deeply. Look at verse 22. Now here's what I want you to notice. On the screen, I have some things highlighted. But if you're reading along in your Bible, I will point out these things to you, okay? Because here's what I want you to notice is that every command, every command that, that Paul relays from the Lord here in Ephesians, this part of Ephesians, every command that God gives to husbands or wives is compared to the relationship between Christ and, Christ and his church, amen, between us and the Lord. Look at this. Wives, submit to your own husbands. What does it say? As to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is head of the wife, what? As also Christ is head of the church and he is savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, okay, look, he's, everyone is compared. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so let their wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, how? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, okay? So every command there is what? Command to husbands, command to wives that is compared to either I, what, how we act towards God or how God, Jesus acts towards us, Okay? Look at verse 26. 
So he said, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for. But verse 26, 27, this is so, so interesting. Look, he expounds on that. He says that, and I think, first of all, he's talking about husbands here. He says that he might sanctify or set her apart and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So guys, you need to love your wives so that they can remain pure and, and holy before the Lord. But notice in verse 27 that he slips into talking about Jesus. He says that he might present her, and I believe 26 actually talks about both, but verse 27 says that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. But look at this, just as what? The Lord does the church. 4, verse 30, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones, comparing marriage, human marriage to that, our relationship with the Lord. Verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. He's talking about marriage, right? Not exactly. Look at what he says. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Friends, what's the great mystery? The great mystery is that from the beginning of time, he created us male and female so that we would complement each other. He introduced Adam to Eve and God performed that wedding ceremony and married them so that they could procreate and so that they and we can give a picture to the world in the way we relate to each other of how we are supposed to relate to Jesus. That's the great mystery, amen? That's what marriage is really all about. John Piper says it this way. This is so good. He says this, he says, God made man, male and female, with their distinctive feminine and masculine natures and their distinctive roles so that in marriage, as husband and wife, they could display Christ and the church. Marriage is designed to reflect the deepest truths of the gospel. Therefore, he goes on to say, this means that the basic roles of wife and husband are not interchangeable. The husband, he says, is to display the sacrificial love of Christ's headship. And, he says, the wife is to display the submissive role of Christ's body. The mystery of marriage, here's how he defines it, is that God had this double display in mind when he created us from the beginning as male and female. That's what it's all about. Why is it important, all the... Sexual immorality out there. And can I say, even among Christians? How dare we? Where is all this leading? One more passage this morning, and you would not be complete if you did not see this passage. Look at Revelation chapter 19. Where is all this going? Where is all this leading, friends? Why is it? What's the ultimate completion of this? And God's plan related to this? Look at Revelation chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 1, then we're going to skip down to verse 5. Verse 1 says, after these things, so John is writing, you know, all of Revelation, God's given John a, a vision of end times, and he's given John a vision of heaven and, and different things, and, and most commentators believe that what we're reading right here in chapter 19 takes place after the great tribulation and before the millennium. Okay, so chapter 19, verse one says, after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord, our God. Amen. We're to verse five. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you, his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. Everybody praise the Lord. Amen. And I heard, verse six, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Amen and amen, right? Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, verse seven, for the, look at this, look at this, look at this, underline this in your Bible, for the marriage of the lamb has come. Where's all this going? Marriage, all this. It's a foreshadowing of this marriage. The marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Now, 
guys, I know that you're not going to be want to be called, not want to fit into this as a wife. Okay. But the church and talked about in scripture is given the female, um, moniker, um, because the church is described as the bride of Christ. doesn't make us female, okay? You're made male, but it's described as the bride of Christ. So who's it talking about here in verse seven? It talks about the marriage of the lamb has come. That's Jesus, amen? And his wife, who's that? It's the church, all of the redeemed, all of those who have been saved by the blood of that lamb. His wife has made herself ready. And how do we know that? Look at verse eight. It spelled it out very clearly for us. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So there we are standing before the Lord. And listen, we've been saved, but here the uniting for all of eternity, friends. Then he said to me, verse nine, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Friends, marriage is important. Marriage is sacred. Why? Marriage is sacred because it is intended to foreshadow and portray our eternal union and bonding with Christ. How, how dare we mess with that? Now, I understand that, especially if you're watching online, maybe, maybe you're watching this and you come from a totally different viewpoint. I understand there are some that just totally will throw this out because they don't believe the Bible, don't have a relationship with Christ, and don't, um, don't really care. Um, here's what I would say to you is very simply that God gave us his word as his revelation of himself to us and his plans and how we should live and who we are and how we can be right with him. Amen? And yes, each and every one of us have to decide whether we are gonna believe this book or not. For those of you who are Christians who claim the name of Christ, I wanna challenge you this morning. Friends, what is God saying to you about this subject. Um, do you need to repent of doing damage to the institution of marriage, to the sanctity of marriage? Maybe you've already done this. Maybe some things have happened in your life that you never intended and you ended up a place where you never, listen, the good thing is that God's a God of grace, amen? He's a God of mercy and forgiveness. And when we come to him in repentance, he forgives and he cleanses us, Amen? But maybe you say, Pastor, I never understood it like that before. Well, now you do. And when God gives us and speaks to us, we need to deal, do, deal with it properly. So maybe that's, maybe that's your response this morning is, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I, now I understand and I want to value marriage. I want to lift up marriage. Maybe, maybe you're here and you need to, you, you've not done anything again, but you didn't understand all that. You say, pastor, pastor, I never knew the significance before. Do you need to, maybe this morning you need to submit to your newfound understanding of the role that God's given you in marriage. Would you do that this morning? Friends, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're one of those who is wrestling with, man, I'm, I'm interested in Christianity. I want to know what the Bible says. And see, I titled, and Pastor Brandon helped me with this title for the, we came up with this title for the, for the series, God's Blueprint for Human Flourishing. Because the devil wants us to think that there's other ways that are better than, than this way. But they're not. Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death. And friends, unless we get right with God, we're gonna spend eternity separated from him. That's according to the Lord. But because of his mercy and grace, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. To pay the penalty for your sin, no matter what it is, no matter what kind of sin it is, he died to pay for your sin. That if you'll trust him as your Lord and Savior, invite him into your life and let him be the Lord and boss of your life. Let him be right? You say, Jesus, I want to, I want to be part of that marriage supper of the lamb with you. He'll actually make that a reality right now. 
and join you to himself forever. That's a glorious thing, amen? What do you need to do today? Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts. Lord, help us not to leave here without doing what we need to do. Help us not to turn off that computer, our phones, without responding in the way we need to respond. Friend, this morning, do you need to trust Christ as your Savior? Do you need to say he is the lamb slain from the foundations of the world? And I want to trust him with my life? Friends, maybe you need to say, and maybe this afternoon to your, to your wife, to your husband, we need to do a better job of living in marriage the way God wanted us to. Would you commit to that together? Listen, it's not easy. Marriage is not easy. But would you say, Lord, we want to honor you in marriage. We want our marriage to be a picture to the world to portray the relationship that we are to have with you. Would you recommit your marriage to him? Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask that you do your work today as we sing that, Lord, you would convict us to respond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks and have a great week.